0: What's up, Craig? Yeah, bitch. Hello. Welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, the last edition of the movie's edition. I'm your host, Joshua Tracing. And I'm Corwin Heller. And uh, and as I said, this is the last time we're doing this on this podcast. We are switching podcasts. Uh, there'll be a new podcast from Juicing the Numbers. We're going to call it Juicing the Big Screen where um, It will release on Tuesdays uh, where Cor and I will continue our weekly movie discussions. So at the end of the episode, we're going to give another movie recommendation as or movie to review as we've been doing for the past, geez, four or five months. Uh, but it will not be recorded on this podcast. It will be recorded on a new podcast called, once again, Juicing the Big Screen that will be available everywhere. Everywhere where movie podcasts are sold. Which, in theory, is actually everywhere. Um, And we will be selling it. It will cost $100 an episode.
1: $100 a minute. Let's be greedy here, Josh, because we know our listeners will pay it.
0: You know what's funny is if we did that... Jeff um, Bezos. I was going to say, if we did that uh, and released an episode every single day, we still wouldn't have as much money as Jeff Bezos. Um, it would take well beyond our lifetime. Anyway, that sad fact um, behind us, let's Yay. talk about some movies. Uh, this week, Corin and I have watched the 1967 film The Graduate and the 2020 film An American Pickle. Corwin, where do you want to start today? I want to start with The Graduate. I was kind of hoping you'd say that, and I have it up first in my browser uh all right nineteen sixty sevens the graduate written by calder willingham buck henry and who's the third guy charles webb um that's who wrote the novel so the screenplay was written by calder willingham and buck henry which sounds like if a texas movie met with a british high society film what the main characters would be named um it was directed by Mike Nichols. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, and Catherine Ross, amongst others, John as we John. always say. Uh, it had an estimated budget of $3 million. It had a cumulative worldwide gross of $105 million. Some might call that a success. Who's to say? Um <laughs> That ROI sure is a fickle thing. Its tagline is "What'll you do after you graduate?" Which I think is a very fitting tagline for once. I
1: actually like that one. I will say, yeah. like, that's not even like in the middle. Like, I like that one.
0: Uh, yeah, I, one. I, I, even if the bar was set significantly higher than it currently is, I still think that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be like, we should write these down and like
1: try and rank these at some point because. That does seem like a lot of work at this point. No, it really wouldn't. It's like Googling 20 things, but that might be fun. Yeah,
0: well, Google is a lot. I don't need them to know what I've been wa- I've already Googled so many. I Google all these movies. That's how I have the web pages in front of me. I don't know who I am without Google. Um, this film won one Oscar on the back of uh, seven nominations it won for best director for mike nichols it was nominated for best picture for lawrence turman best actor in a leading role for dustin hoffman best actress in a leading role for Anne bancroft best actress in a supporting role for Catherine ross best writing for the duo of hilariously juxtaposed names i read earlier and best cinematography for robert certis uh corwin what did you think oh sorry and the overarching plot is a disillusioned college graduate finds himself torn between his older lover and her daughter. Corbin, what do you think of this movie?
1: I have one word for you, Josh. Plastics. Um, (laughs) I think about that line all the time. (laughs) I tried watching this film probably six, seven, eight years ago. Uh, Early on in my adult life as a 14 year old. Um, And I don't think I could get through the first scene where it's like, Oh, Mrs. Robinson, are you trying to seduce me? I was just like, wow, this, this is a whole lot of boring, nothing. And I just don't care for it. Watching it now. Oh, I adore this movie. This just feels, it just has that genuine, honest feel to it where Dustin Hoffman's character is so easy to connect to and just feed off of. And just, I feel like I'm a part of this. I feel like I'm a part of his situation and his struggles. And I just love this movie
0: through and through. Can Um, I interrupt you real quick with one of my favorite stories about this movie that surrounds how Dustin Hoffman got the role? Josh, I interrupt you so often, it's only fair you interrupt with the story. So Dustin Hoffman, who was who was an actor by this point. Like he he wasn't some he wasn't horribly unknown, uh, but still relatively, I guess, fresh in the game, shows up to his audition and you know, there the, the director like had auditioned a few other people from what I'm supposed to under when I'm what I am to understand and uh was looking for a shy, meek guy. Dustin Hoffman shows up to audition and the director mistook him for the window washer. And so he told Dustin Hoffman Go wash those windows. And Dustin Hoffman was like too shy to be like, but sir, I am here to act. And instead started washing the fucking windows. And when, and then left, then he didn't even audition. And then later on the director found out that that kid who washed the fucking windows was actually here to like be an actor and ended (laughs) up bringing him back in for an audition and ultimately casting him for the role for mainly for that reason.
1: That's fucking hilarious, right? Like, uh, I'm gonna look back and see what other movies he was in prior to this. But like, I feel like he had some acting gigs before this. I was oh, no, he, he did. Uh, he had nothing spectacular. Uh,
0: yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Like, it's not like he was like. Uh, it's not like you, you're bringing like modern day Leonardo DiCaprio into this. But he like, you know, he he'd been in things. Mm-hmm. Nothing that mattered but things anyway that was my well
1: you were saying that i was kind of looking through the uh, academy awards from that year just to see what else came out and boy what a bunch of classics in the heat of the night which won best picture bonnie and clyde the graduate um cool hand luke you have the dirty dozen this is a great
0: year for movies Oh yeah, no, dude, the 60s was a huge, huge change in like how filmmaking was done, the type of stories that were being told and the manner in which they were telling them. I think The Graduate's a great encapsulation of that um, Mm -hmm. in small part because of the subject matter. But yeah, dude, the 60s can't, oh, what a transition for Hollywood. Yeah, I believe it. I
1: always think of Bonnie and Clyde uh, from, uh, I think an old video that I watched about how Bonnie and Clyde was like the first film you know widely broadcast film to use like the modern editing techniques that we you know see in everyday movies today but knowing it came out you know the same year as the graduate which looking back and watching is extremely similar editing wise is wild i'd love the way this movie was edited
0: i always thought that's one of my weak points noticing editing, which is why I always like when you bring it up, because uh, it's going to force me to think about how films are edited as I go forward. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me some of the things you enjoyed about the editing of this film? Um, so they
1: do, they play a lot with like focus and moving yes. camera movement, um, you know, bringing it into a shot to focus around different subjects, pulling it away and at a different angle to change perspective and um, they were really close to having another uh, split diopter shot, which as you can tell by now is like my favorite thing to bring up whenever I see it, just because it's a really cool name and a really cool shot. And when you put those two things together, it means I'm going to talk about it ad nauseum. Um, but it, it didn't quite hold it long enough to actually be one, but yeah, like it's, it's little things like you're, you know, in all reality, you're not supposed to notice editing, you know, but Being able to see like shot selection, um, you know, putting all of these scenes together. Like, uh, when you first have that scene where Mrs. Robinson is undressing herself and comes into the room naked in front of Dustin Hoffman's character, it's those fast cuts between, you know, showing her tan lines at her waist, uh, cutting back to his nervous face and his eyes jumping around, just back and forth, quick cuts, just shooting up the tension uh that you feel oh man it was it was a lot of fun to watch and just kind of break down you know really seeing it for the first time
0: you know it's funny that i'm I'm just reading about this film sorry total deviation um that's what this uh, podcast is i mean basically it is nothing but a series of non sequiturs um Dustin Hoffman was actually supposed to had apparently all but agreed to a role in Mel Brooks' as The Producers that he turned down to be in this. Hmm. Isn't that interesting?
1: Uh, I'm glad he did, because I much prefer this.
0: Well, Especially well, him in it. That he is plays a such fucking a perfect hot character. take that I will not stand for, because The Producers is art. Um, hmm. Don't you dare. Uh, I will not hear Mel Brooks' slander on this podcast. But could you imagine going from working with Mel Brooks every day to working with Mel Brooks' wife every day. What a hilarious transition that would be.
1: Um, I just searched the
0: producers
1: on IMDb and the first one that came up was the 2005 remake with Matthew Broderick.
0: Oh, yeah! I just refused to
1: even select that and figure out what that is.
0: Oh, I've seen it. It is not good. I can't imagine. Um, So let's... I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies. I would even maybe be so bold as to say. Um, I I liked it when I was younger because it felt older. You know, there's a lot of adult themes here, and I love it more now because, holy shit, do I get it? Um, it's bizarre having to navigate the sudden growth and change that is graduating college it's a huge shift and it's tough having like a relative listlessness about it because like yeah he got a degree and now what like my degree Mm -hmm. is in economics like what the fuck do you do with that and don't get me wrong i loved my economics degree i had a great time doing it in college and i feel good when I when I had the opportunity to talk about it and speak about those subjects. But like I'm not gonna go to the economics factory to go to go bust out uh, you know, like little economic widgets every day. Like there's nothing to do with that. And that's why like he gets pushed into uh not pushed into but but it uh, constant attempts at persuading him to do plastics because I mean fuck man, if it was the sixties, like that's just like what you did. Like everyone fucking worked in plastics. If at least it seems from watching these types of films. And like right. Is it what he wants to do? Clearly not. Otherwise, he'd be chomping at the bit to do it. But, like, he has to kind of play around with the idea because, fuck, what else are you going to do? And it's the same thing when it comes to relationships. He just doesn't know what the fuck to do. And he does what other people tell him to do because he has no direction because he seems like a guy who never really got the chance to have his own opinion on that matter. And it ultimately ends up leading to, well, the entirety of this film. Um... Which I think is, is gorgeously made. Uh, I I love what Mike Nicholas has done with this. Um, the the shiftings of in and out of focus is one of my favorite parts about watching this. Is is, is just finding them all. Um, the score by Simon and Garfunkel oh. is not only brutally sixties, but also just absolutely phenomenal. Um, this is where the song "Mrs. Robinson" by Simon and Garfunkel comes from. Uh, funny I won't story start about that. Yeah, Real quick, funny story about that. Do you know what the original title of the song Mrs. Robinson was supposed to be? Uh, The Sounds of Silence. No, it was supposed to be... It was originally um, Mrs. Roosevelt. And Uh, it was supposed... And the song was supposed to be about... um, uh, What the fuck was Franklin Roosevelt's wife's name? Eleanor. Eleanor. I wanted to say it was Eleanor, but I I couldn't remember if I was misremembering Franklin's middle name. As De- of Delano, as Eleanor. Anyway, um, so Simon and Garfunkel bring bring that song to Mike Nichols. And they were like, hey, like we know like it doesn't like really fit name-wise, but we really like the song. And Mike Nichols looked at them and said, we're not making a movie about Eleanor fucking Roosevelt. Name the song Mrs. Robinson, um, which is hilarious. And then Simon uh,
1: and Garfunkel started washing the windows.
0: Uh, yeah, everyone just kept washing. If you washed the windows for Mike Nichols, you got hired. <laughs> Not a euphemism, Mike, got dirty windows, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His wife to this day still washes the windows and thinks of him um, oh, it's It's the only movie I've ever seen Catherine Ross in, and you know what? That's fine. She did a great job. You um, seen a, guest in a Sundance kid, oh my God, she isn't that. dude, that's my favorite western, oh my gosh, she isn't that. I forgot. Okay, Josh those Spirit are the Man. those are the those are the two movies I know her from.
1: That's the um, only two movies I know her from. But you know,
0: yeah, it's a big This one, is, yes. uh, and it's also funny. Speaking of two movies, because for Anne Bancroft, this is one of the only two movies I really think of her from. I think of her as uh, the hot older woman, the um, sex positive, uh, uh, sexually aggressive older woman in the graduate, and then I think of her as the buttoned up nun in that uh um in the miracle worker which is a completely different role and really just shows how much range Anne bancroft has uh as an actress and i think it's well on display in in this film um and dustin hoffman as as said earlier is fucking perfect in this my god he was built to play this role and the fact that he wasn't typecast as this guy forever speaks volumes to who he is as an actor Oh um, yeah, his versatility
1: is unreal.
0: I know. Um, my God, he's so good. One of my questions actually
1: was, when you you know see Dustin Hoffman, what is the film you think of, and like what is your favorite Dustin Hoffman film?
0: Okay, not so-
1: film overall, but like him in the film. Like, what's your favorite role? I should say.
0: All right. Well, well, first, I I have to bring up. The movie I think of him think first of him from I don't know how best to say those words or the correct order, Um, but the movie I first think of him from, and I'm so sorry this is my answer, is Mister Megorium's Wonder Emporium, Um, because of that stupid like accent he does. I've never been able to get this image and sound of Dustin Hoffman doing like a weird like. High pitched lisp thing while like all the weird magic shits happening in the background out of my head. Um, and I wasn't even like a kid when this movie came out, like I was like 13, 14 when that movie came out. I thought it was stupid as shit, but like every time I picture Dustin Hoffman in my mind's eye, that's what comes up. Um, that is a movie I
1: never saw and completely struck from my memory like of, his ex- of its existence. Um, Wow, you do not need to watch it. it. That is yeah,
0: I I'm not ever going to watch that. You you Corwin, you you shouldn't watch it. Your life no. would objectively be worse if you watched it. Um but my favorite Dustin Hoffman film is probably Midnight Cowboy. That,
1: that's fair. That's fair. Um how about you? The reason I wanted to ask this so specifically was when I think of Dustin Hoffman, it's it's Meet the Fockers. And I thought I was uh, going to get some Flat for that,
0: that's a great answer, Obviously actually.
1: Now, you know, not even close to Mr. McGorry's Wonder Emporium. Um, well, but like, it's true. I mean,
0: like, think about like when you think of actors, like, I don't when I think of like Daniel Day Lewis, I don't think of him even like in the Abe Lincoln role because it's so understated. I think of him as from my left foot, which, um, or even from from uh, what's it called, nine, where he plays the Italian filmmaker Guido, like, he. I think whenever you think of an actor, like it's I don't think it's unusual for you to deviate to like their biggest and wackiest character, you know? Dustin Hoffman's big and wacky in Meet the Fockers. He's bigger and wackier in Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium. Like I think it's that's a that's a normal place for both of our minds to go. I just feel
1: like that's a movie I watched so much as a kid. Like my family just loved that like trilogy of movies or I know there's a third one, I don't remember what it
0: is. Um, it's meet the Fockers and then meet the parents and then no it's meet, meet the parents, parents then, then it's meet, meet the, the Fockers, Fockers and then I want to say it's just like meet the Fockers 2 or some stupid shit meet the
1: hold on IMDB don't fail me meet the Robinsons which is a different movie man it doesn't have it maybe
0: it is only two
1: I don't know Little it doesn't Fockers. matter
0: it's called Little Fockers.
1: Oh, that makes sense. I also have struck that from my memory. So,
0: I'm not sure I ever got that far down in the Meet the Parents slash Fockers canon. Yeah, it's, it's whatever. has um, a 27 Metascore? Oh my god, that's bad.
1: Um, But I will say, I enjoy those movies a lot. Great guilty pleasure movies. Um, But my favorite role is him in, uh, as a producer in Wag the Dog with Robert De Niro. Yeah, it's a great movie. Disturbingly accurate in uh, the world, especially today. But um, yeah, still a good movie.
0: Yeah, it's so funny looking at like politics movies from before four years ago and saying to yourself, that's so stupid. Like it would never get that bad. And then, or like people can't be that dumb behind the scenes. (laughs) And then you get to like today, um, like, I just can't uh, real,
1: believe how they had to tone down all these movies to get us to believe them. Like,
0: apparently. real quick, I just want to read Dustin Hoffman's Academy Award nominations. And I know we're like jerking off Dustin Hoffman super hard right now and not talking about the movie, but like, yeah, he does deserve it. He, here are his films that he's been nominated for Best Actor for, going from oldest to newest The Graduate, Midnight Cowboy, Lenny, Kramer vs. Kramer, Tootsie, Rain Man, and Wag the Dog. Those are seven. Vastly different roles. Like, vastly different roles. No two characters are remotely the same in any of these movies. Uh, yeah, and I fucking love Dustin Hoffman for it. Like, this is, I, I, like, seeing it laid out like that is genuinely so impressive. Have
1: you ever seen uh, the Mayorowitz stories? Mayorowitz, excuse me? Um,
0: no, I have not.
1: He's pretty good in that. I really like his character in that.
0: All right, we should stop jerking him off now and talk about the movie again.
1: Eh, what
0: uh, movie. <laughs> um, from what I can tell, Meet the Fockers. Ah uh, yes, yes, <laughs> love the baby. So this is a time of upheaval. Like, all right, let me let me let me start at a, at a different different point. Um, have you watched this movie in completion? before you graduated college or has it only been recent for you?
1: Um If if you listen to what I said earlier in the podcast, I've only ever seen
0: the first like. All right. That's what I minutes. thought. I just but, wanted to make yeah. sure how you, you, you are the more recent college grad of the two of us. How does this hit you having watched it through that scope right now? Well, up until the point we starts
1: fucking his like closest family friends, his mom, um, pretty damn accurate just that feeling of like stuck in this purgatory with no idea of what direction you're gonna head in no direction of what you want to do no direction of where you're gonna go just basically waiting for something to happen and the just depression that it you know forms with it just being lost um can definitely connect closely to that. Uh, again, you know, starting an affair with close family friends and then marrying their daughter. Little out of my wheelhouse, I will well, say.
0: Let's talk about the mom fucking. Um, so he, he, I guess, gets propositioned is probably the best term for it uh, by, by Mrs. Robinson, a, a close family friend of his parents. And ends up at first begr- begrudgingly, not even begrudgingly, he he goes over because he keeps asking her to do tasks, and he is too meek of a person to be like, no, you're trying to fuck me and I do not want to be fucked. Um, <laughs> and then eventually she just like presents herself to him and he's like, well, I guess I do want to be fucked. Um, and then fucks her. And at that point he starts rather clumsily and meekly, as is his character, um, having a an affair with her, um, that really began in kind of a weird light because it's like, all right, how much of this is Dustin Hoffman wanting this? And how much of it is him just not having a good grasp at the fact that he's an adult and can like and has wants and feelings and can rightfully express them and understand what he wants versus what someone's telling him he wants. Like he, he probably would have joined the plastics industry because that guy told him he should, because that's who he is. And then here he is also having a relationship with someone that at the outset, he very much so made clear the fact he does not want um, and ends up doing it anyway, because I guess the because is what I when I'm what I'm getting at here, what do you think about the whole relationship at its core? Uh,
1: I think there is a significant amount of emotional manipulation uh occurring on you know the part of or by Mrs. Robinson basically seeing this, you know, young man who is clearly lost and I guess scared would be a good word who just is looking for anything to grasp onto and is very clearly just manipulating him and twisting him as you know an authority figure in his life because when you're that age adults is are you know authority figures all around you you know family friends adults are people that have you know a position of respect within your family and they do have a position of authority and Despite the fact that you are now a college graduate, essentially 21 years old, a full-fledged adult in many, many respects, you don't see yourself as that. And so when an adult, you know, what's the right term for this, kind of preys upon you the way she did, um, it's very easy to fall victim to that. Uh, And it was, you know, very, very heavy-handed in this. Um, just with all the shit she pulls and just the lying, the manipulation, the you know, the twisting of everything,
0: yeah. and it it's it's a thing that like when when as you start going through it in, in large part because of the the gender dynamic, um, this would be significantly creepier um mm-hmm. if if the if the gender rules were were reversed. Um, but like when he eventually, goes on that date with with mrs robinson's daughter claire it gives him a uh, maybe not on the date itself maybe a little bit in the wake of the date realizing he has options and like gets to make choices and can pick what he wants he uh, kind of comes to terms with the fact that maybe mrs robinson isn't what he wants and maybe he wants claire and that he actually has the agency to like make that decision something that he didn't really realize he had before um and that really puts into perspective the first part of the movie where he is engaged in what isn't just an affair because affairs of themselves are what it is. Um, what logistically speaking is just a terrible position for him to be in. Um, it this is someone he knows it's someone he knows the daughter of it's someone his parents know close friend. He'd see at gatherings all the time. Like this is, it's messy. Um, and to eventually have a, the film come to a point where he doesn't even want to be in it, and he also didn't want to be in it in the first place, it makes the beginning look pretty different.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, it's so weird with, you know, how this movie presents itself about, you know, what is this? You know, by everything I've seen going into this, this is a drama for significant portions of this, this is a drama. And it's just undercut with these, you know, moments of comedic relief where is like, you think like, like, is this a comedy? Like, is this just a a heavy handed comedy? Because some of these scenes are just intentionally or not just so naturally hilarious. And Dustin Hoffman is so great at having that, Um, you know, his reactions, the way he plays off, uh, situations, like he's so naturally funny, um, that like it was, it had me dying at some spots. And you, if you just change the editing and the style of this ever so slightly, this could
0: be a roaring comedy. Oh, very quickly. Yeah, no, very, very quickly. It's a stone's throw from being a comedy anyway. Um. Um. Because, like you said, so many of the comedic scenes that are that are scattered throughout this. Um, one of my favorites being the the gas station scene near the end, where he's just like berating that old man into giving him directions, um, lying about being a pastor. Uh, God, it's so fucking funny. Um, Mrs. Robinson's character, I think, is painted in a relatively negative light, especially in light of all the things we just said but I also can't help but find her to be just such a sympathetic character I mean here she is in what is clearly a loveless marriage um, daughters out of the house that's the only kids she seems to have empty nest this is the 60s so she's probably just a housewife you know they, they weren't allowed to have jobs back then they're not even people they've had the vote for under 50 years at this point point. Um, and Clearly, she's not getting any of the physical intimacy that she would really like to be getting. And uh, she, she, she finds what could be a suitable arrangement in her eyes, not having to divorce her husband and getting to have sex with a younger person in, in this man. And her only real demand was, don't go out with my daughter. And then the going out with the daughter gets kind of foisted upon um, Dustin Hoffman's character and she feels this great sense of betrayal, and really starts to distance, and in all likelihood, probably push the relationship between Claire and the man to whom she almost ends up betrothed. Um, and it really is kind of it, it. It's granted, I understand, especially since I just kind of laid it out the really problematic ways with with how she entered this relationship with Dustin Hoffman it coming from a point of like sexual frustration and romantic frustration and just great dissatisfaction with the relationship that she has it's understandable how she might be relatively a- aggressive granted not doesn't make it right but it might make it, you know it it's understandable how th- those types of pent up frustrations could manifest themselves in what is a relatively more aggressive way and then to have everything be pushed back upon you in such a person, a deep and personal way, you know, him entering into a, even just a few dates of a relationship with her daughter is just so much. Um, I'm sure it wouldn't be anything if they weren't fucking, but to see not just your relationship with this person and not just that relationship with your, with your be with your daughter, but also have to understand that her She's going to be falling back into a way of life that she has, uh, I would assume, hated for what I would also assume is a long time. Um, it's, it's a pretty tragic story on her end as well. I
1: agree with you up until she plays it off as a rape. And that's the point where immediately yeah. it was, oh my God, this went from sympathy for losing someone you were connecting with to you are an absolute monster and I hope nothing but the worst upon you. Um,
0: You know, it's crazy. I constantly forget that that happens in the film. And every single time I watch it, I'm like, Oh shit, that's right. Yeah. God,
1: like that is just like, it's, you know, I have such strong feelings towards that because of, you know, not that I've had, anything close to a personal uh you know connection or you know i have never even been close to that kind of situation but the idea that you know a person can make up a lie that can so easily destroy someone's entire life career hopes and dreams and have all but the sm- almost no evidence almost just Them saying it can be believed is just so horrific in my mind that, you know, that is never something joked about. It's never something that should be played off. It's never something that should be taken lightly in any capacity. That's not me saying, you know, women who come out in those situations and make those statements shouldn't be believed. They absolutely should. It just makes it that much more impactful when someone lies about it, because you have to believe them. And it's just, oh God, that situation is just, in all honesty, like I joke with people like, oh, you know, I've been a swimmer my whole life and drowning is my biggest fear. Having that situation occur to me is so far and away the biggest fear in my life. It's unimaginable because that is it. Like that is the end of your life.
0: Which makes the response to to it in this film all the more bizarre, because it's also like, one of the reasons I keep forgetting about it is because it's like a blip on the radar of this film. I oh, think yeah. it's it's his dad that brings it up, right? He's like, Mrs. Robinson saying you raped her. Is that true? Not like oh. the police are here, no, right?
1: What it was Elaine that brought it up when she like comes to his apartment.
0: Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Still, the fact that it's like, it's even worse. Kind of, it, yeah. It's kind of just like brought up. I kept saying Claire. It is Elaine. I don't know why I did that. Um. Anyway, the fact that it's like brought up by like another character as like almost kind of in passing, more so than it is by the police. Well, Dennis Hoff, Dustin Hoffman's in handcuffs is also just fucking. Oh, so sad. So so sad. Wow. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like that whole situation where it's like you raped my mom. No, your mother came to me naked in your room and seduced me. And then like two minutes go by and it's like, all right, Ben, get over here. Give me a kiss. It's just like, oh man, like I get like, if you believe him, I get why you would believe your mom's telling you that. But like,
0: oh, oh Dustin, Hoffman, like Dustin Hoffman's optics of this are so bad. It's like, no, no, I didn't. I didn't rape her. why?" drove her home cause she was too drunk to drive herself. And then she was all of a sudden naked in front of me and coming on to me. And I couldn't say no, she was blocking the door. It's like, Oh my God, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he so should have been testifying that from jail, but again, not, not where this movie went. It was a uh, 1967 and women were barely people.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, <sighs> What do you think of uh, the Elaine character in this film? She's pretty not in the movie a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's hard because this movie basically does a 180 once they go on that date where it goes from, oh, okay, this is about you know Dustin Hoffman and Mrs. Robinson. Elaine is mentioned in passing to this movie is about Dustin Hoffman and Elaine with Mrs. Robinson. Being brought up in passing, and it's just a complete one eighty. And I, I don't dislike it. I, I do enjoy the change and almost the twist of it, um, because he's you know going from a a very ugly relationship relationship in quotes to one that he cares so strongly for, and you know despite the situation, like it's it's clear they both have strong positive feelings towards each other um and by all means it is and would be a healthy relationship it's just man that's a weird change and just like thinking back on it again you know this was the first time i've ever seen it i just don't think i could ever get over the foundation that this is based on of you fucked my mom while she was married to my dad was forced into a date with me by all means that date where he brings her to a strip club um and is absolutely the rudest you know worst date imaginable um and then like oh shit no i want to marry you babe i fucking love you to death like that situation altogether is just like I would be so far out of it at that point. Like I would be fucking miles away, going 90 down the freeway, just avoiding this, getting as far away from this as possible. But man, it makes for a great movie.
0: Oh yeah. The, uh, the Elaine character is, and I'm going to be controversial, poorly written, um, really poorly written. She is there to give Dustin Hoffman an excuse to not fuck Mrs. Robinson anymore. Um that's it, because if Elaine didn't come along, Dustin Hoffman would have spent his entire life—not uh, l- actual Dustin Hoffman, Ben Braddock—fucking um, Mrs. Robinson during the week and then chilling in his pool on the weekends. Um, he'd be a, he'd be one of those like divorced husbands sitting in like a really shitty LA motel, but without the divorce. That's who he would be. Um, so Elaine really. Because you're right, it's a bizarre plot line that she's given. It's, hey, you are going to be passed off onto this dude um, because we told you to. He's going to take you for ice cream and a strip joint, um, and you're going to hate it. But then when he tracks you down later on in the film, you're going to decide that you actually do like him. But too late, we passed you off on a different young buck. And uh, instead, he's just going to show up at your wedding and uh, snatch you away onto a bus. And she is going to love it. And that is a wacky plot point, because it's not about her. It's about providing plot to Dustin Hoffman's character. Um, Um, I will
1: add two things to that. Um, Go ahead. One, I think the acceptance is her seeing the true nature of dustin hoffman you know through his i guess i'll say persistence um in you know trying to win her back over like he she can see that his actions and you know following his honesty about the situation at hand um you know he was fully open with her you know never once lied about any of this it just happens to be the situation at hand was so fucking insane that God, it's hard not to be upset about it. And he, you know, is persistently showing like, Hey, I care strongly and deeply about you. That part of my life is just so completely over. I'm here for you. I'm willing to commit to you. This is not at all about, you know, me just trying to get a quick bang or whatever this, that it's like, Hey, This is uh, a true rooted, you know, feeling that I have towards you. And I think that was, you know, her acceptance after seeing all that. At the same time, the fact that she is just willing to marry two dudes after fucking at least what was portrayed as like a couple weeks, like two months, maybe like absolute max. Like, insane. Yeah, the, the, how, the like,
0: passage of time is really tough to differentiate there.
1: Right, so like, he graduates, he starts with this rela- this relationship with Mrs. Robinson. That goes on for an indeterminate amount of time. Then he starts up this relationship with Elaine, which happens for a short but also indeterminate amount. They're broken up. She goes back to school at some point. And this seems to happen soon after. So, like, two, three months, maybe? I don't know. Like, the over overall, you know, timeline for this. Which, like, I know in, you know, overarching the storyline here, like, she's known, in air quotes, these guys for years. Or so they, like, infer. Uh, but, God, like, I feel like that marriage is just too big of a decision to happen in two months let alone whatever time period this actually
0: took place like wow yeah yeah i oh i so we've been talking about this movie for a while um which i wasn't expecting to do which i really should have because there's so much to get into with Mm -hmm. this um and god damn it i've been enjoying this but I do want to make sure we uh, don't have this podcast run for two hours. Uh, So what do you say we jump into the end and then wrap it up? Sure. I mean, I have
1: a few quick notes I'll throw in after we talk about it, but I'll go quick.
0: All right, cool. Um, This is one of the ending of this movie is one of the reasons I think of it as one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is a hilariously large, and wildly crazy and ridiculous ending. Um, Physically speaking, which you don't see in this film before it, because while the plot line is a little bit wild and wacky at some points, all the physical aspects of the film are pretty straight and and, and narrow here. Um, But Dustin Hoffman somehow manages to, to bring himself up to the weirdly located church that Elaine's wedding is to whatever that blonde fucko's name is. Um, Gets her attention from this very conveniently placed uh, glass catwalk. Um, She screams out his name, starts running back down the aisle towards the entrance to the church where he meets her. He then, then the whole family starts pouring towards the exit, as one would expect, Mm -hmm. which he then shuts the doors and seals it closed with a very large cross. Fucking hilarious. hilarious. (laughs) Um, And, yeah. (laughs) And then uh, runs outside, and the two of them get on what looks like a yellow school bus, but because it is a yellow school bus, but I guess in the 1960s that was just a bus, um, where the two of them get to the back of the bus and they sit down in this oddly shaped middle seat that ran the entire length of the back of the bus. And they're laughing and they're sweating and they're looking at each other with love in their eyes. And and it's quiet. They're not saying anything. And then the, the smiles slowly fade. And they're and they kind of pop back every now and then, but the faces are more serious. The tone is more somber as the reality of what they just did, and what their life is about to start looking like starts to dawn on them. And uh, oh, I love it. What do you think of this ending?
1: I really enjoy it. You know, just that, that realization, you know, the consequences of their actions, like that reality is just wash over them. And, you know, I, I watched through it, two or three times just to really be able to get a grasp on those emotions and see if I could, you know, get a better handle of them. Um, I will say I don't think I see any regret in anything there. I think it's really just they're both happy. They're both happy with the situation that they're in. I think it's just an, oh, shit, like, this is real now. Like, this is... You know, the, the adrenaline is wearing off or per se, um, you know, reality setting in. And I think they're just like, ah, like this, this is, this is real life. And I think that's part of it of, you know, part of graduating, becoming an adult, you know, the reality sets in where it's like, ah, this is it, like, this is life from here on out. Um, yeah. How about you?
0: Oh, I I think it's so perfect because of the it it it's it's again I think I've said this many times about endings I've really been a fan of it's a, it the ending is a little microcosm for for the whole movie. Um, I will start with one note that seeing Mrs. Robinson in I don't want to say the crowd because there aren't crowds at weddings there are attendees at weddings. Um, but seeing her face among the masses having not seen her for so much of the film up, up to this point, as like as Corbin was saying earlier, like after the Elaine storyline starts to really pick up, like the Mrs. Robinson storyline, like almost entirely drops off, um, mm-hmm. which I think makes seeing her at the wedding that much more impactful. I think it's actually a really interesting and I think a great choice that they don't give you much Mrs. Robinson because seeing like the way she looks at what is currently happening in front of her eyes is is wild, especially given the fact you haven't seen her in so long. Um, so and and then, like having like all the the calamity that ensues from from these two starting to to run away with 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 Dustin Hoffman absconding with the, with the bride to be um and then leading to to the more somber toned like it, it, it's like it's like them on that bus they are driving away from the movie part of the movie. And heading into reality. You know? It's like a small moment. You know what it is? It's the ending of the holy mountain. This isn't movie. Uh, this isn't reality. This is just a movie. Now you have to go out there and experience reality. That's the yeah, ending of this movie.
1: Uh, I can see where you're coming from. I don't agree with you with that uh
0: ending comparison, but sure. Um don't don't, don't misuse do your, your dis don't Robinson. don't you sit there and misuse your dislike for one of the greatest films of all time
1: uh, just, I just I hate you uh, with a passion. Um, I will say we do see Mrs. Robinson in the scene you know leading up to this when he goes to their house looking for Lane and she's just like uh, there in her room that's right um, but that to me, really doesn't take anything away from the point of you saying, like, her reactions in that crowd when you know she's like, Oh, it's too late, like a wicked witch of the west type, like, it's over, like, ha, 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 ha he lost and he has to witness it all, like, doesn't take away anything from that. Like, she is a terrible person, and it shows in that scene. Um, but man, yeah, what a tremendous ending, but yeah, yeah I love know, it so much, crowd with a cross. It's fucking great
0: oh my god it was so perfect and like you know the um religious metaphorist metaphor metaphor finding person in me wants to sit there and find a reason for it but i'm not even going to because it should live as just the wacky incident that it is because that's just so fucking funny completely agree um all right, well, give me give me a final rating and review, and we'll we'll hop on over to talk about some pickles.
1: Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some some quick points at you just because. Oh I yes, really- sorry about that. Uh, the quote that I connected with the most was when he's you know laying in the pool and he's just like I'm just it's comfortable. I'm just here lounging, and his dad goes, "Can you tell me what those four years of undergraduate school were for? All that hard work." and he just goes you got me. Oh boy, that just hit hard. That oh, that was a nail through the heart. Um because that's that's exactly what it feels like. It's like, "Why did I just do all that? Why did I spend so much money to go to college?
0: What's the fucking point?"
1: Um I'm sure you can absolutely agree.
0: Yes, uh very much so. <laughs> Um, I'm still paying for that question today, and we will for the rest of our
1: lives. Um, Please vote uh, later on when he rushes into their house to tell Elaine um, what you know the situation was before her mother had a chance to do that. Um, him basically saying like, "Elaine, I fucked your mom. Um, this boy does not have." the tact that i would hope from you know just a watcher of this film you would uh you would have hoped he just softened that blow just a little bit um but yeah no he he basically just was like i i fucked your mom oh don't cry (laughs) even though i just fucked your mom like a ton um yeah and then uh throughout the movie ben drives a, a alfa romeo spider 1600 duetto um and it's fucking gorgeous and i would, it's beautiful i just love it so much and yeah that'll be my closing thought i just i love this film i love dustin hoffman's character i thought it was absolutely perfect should have won an oscar for it um you know the overall storyline while it was kind of all over the place i have almost no complaints about it um this I, I really don't have any complaints about this movie, and it just has that like X Factor feeling of like this is phenomenal. I won't say it's perfect. I don't know why, but uh, I'll give this a four and a half out of five.
0: I'm right there with you. Uh, I feel very similar. Um, I'm also going to 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 uh, give it a four and a half out of five. Um, I love this fucking movie. As I said several times, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I do find the passage of time to be awkward, um, especially given the fact that part of that not well stated passage of time includes an entire engagement period um and wedding planning experience, which I can I'm sure in the 60s like the courting period was shorter and the um the wedding planning was easier, but like they seriously make it seem like it happened in like two and a half weeks. Like It's crazy. Um, So, but those are like, those are, those are minor. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're anything other than minor. Um, But it's maybe partly combined with the small itsy bitsy gripes and some odd gut feeling that's preventing me from going full bore with the five. But there I sit. um, I fucking love this movie. Great movie. Shall we move on over to pickle talk? Some pickles. Yeah. All right, Uh, An American Pickle, made in this, came out this year, 2020, came out relatively recently. Um, It was uh, written by Simon Rich, and based on the short story by Simon Rich, it was directed by Brandon Trost. It stars Seth Seth Rogen, Sarah Snook, and Molly Evanson. Um, It has no major award nominations, in part because it came out like this month. And trust me, folks, it won't. Um, It has... Does it have an estimated budget? I don't see an estimated budget. Its cumulative worldwide gross, according to IMDb, is $36,000, which I don't even know how you would know that. um, Because
1: it's... Like, that doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things like Netflix... I always claims they know how much revenue they generate from films and then just issue that number out. But they never say how they got it. And it's always or they or they always say like that whether or not a film or show is profitable, but they never reveal the methodology behind determining that. um mm-hmm. since streaming is such a behind the scenes kind of information set, like data set, it's it's just tough to decide like there's no tickets bought for this movie, nor will there ever be. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, It it's about an immigrant worker at a pickle factory accidentally being preserved for 100 years and wakes up in modern-day Brooklyn. Um, Corwin, do you want to start? Or do you want me to?
1: I'll start. Yeah, you know, dude, this shit's hilarious. He turned himself into a pickle. Um, yeah, now that I got that Rick and Morty joke out of the way, Um you telling me now like the first time i'm hearing this that this was based off of a short story makes a whole lot of sense because i feel like this would have been almost better off as a short film rather than an entire feature length film um i really didn't mind the beginning you know it it had high hopes you know the whole concept of being you know I guess not frozen, but like preserved in pickle brine for a hundred years. Yeah. Like I get it. Like with this movie, you just kind of have to accept it and not question it. You know, I think they do do a fairly good job in explaining it where they say, Oh, they do a great job. He explained all the science or they explained all the science, but we're not going to tell you what it was because this dumb caveman just doesn't understand it. So you don't have to hear the full story. That makes a lot of sense, um, but while I'm fine glossing over that, uh, the whole concept of no one in this story whatsoever acknowledging at any point after that initial, you know, occurrence that this man is a hundred and twenty three years old and has been preserved in pickles for a hundred years. And at no point through all this confusion and, you know, uh, just all the the bad shit going on, no one stops to be like, you know, this man grew up in a third world country a hundred years ago. Maybe we shouldn't be super hard on him for fucking selling pickles without following modern 2020 New York City health and safety standards. Or, you know, at like... They completely throw logic out the window once they get past this. Like, hey, just don't worry about the science behind it. They just then roll with it. And they're like, all right, don't worry about any logic for the rest of the movie. Because it just doesn't matter at all. And that just, it it kind of, well, the story wasn't exactly, you know, a home run to begin with. Um, yeah, that's just what ended up really losing me. And it's it's just been hard to get over that.
0: Oh, oh man, I have so many opinions about this movie. Um, I want to hear them all. Unfortunately, almost none of them are good. Um, so I actually, for the first, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes of this film, was Corbin I was fucking enamored by it. I was so here for it because it talked about... Um, you know this Jewish guy coming from Eastern Europe with all of the more strict and and of the culture Jewish traditions coming over to an outer borough of New York and trying to make a life for himself, and then when he eventually meets his great grandson uh dealing with the the differences between how they experience Judaism today based on uh one how the traditions have been passed down to him and to the religious um kind of, I don't want to say culture, uh, but the way religion is consumed in society today. And holy shit does that speak to me. Like, my great-grandparents came from Russia, like spoke Yiddish, moved to the Bronx, like you know, the whole fucking nine, and uh, ended up taking out a lot of their more Eastern European and more Jewish traditions to try to integrate better with American society like refused to teach Yiddish to my my grandparents because they were afraid of them not being considered American enough like you know I'm not gonna say any of the traditions were too watered down, but like outside of like holidays we didn't really have any Jewish food or too all too much I should say Jewish food around the house you know outside of like challah on Fridays and like you know some a lot of fucking hummus. You know um, some of the the basic and more cliched ones. So I was like, I thought that's where this movie was going. Like, you know, they go to the 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 Jewish cemetery, this little Jewish cemetery by the highway, and and like they have a moment about the mourners' cottage. And I'm like, this this movie is like me for me specifically. I was so fucking ready for it. It's funny. It it's literally speaking to an experience that I feel as though I am having. And then it just goes, and fuck that. And then just wildly transitions to a completely different movie. Like the first 10 minutes of this film are a fascinating conversation. There it's a really, really great conversation. Series of ideas about how we not even just specifically Jewish, but like how we pass down traditions, what it means to be an immigrant, like how different generations so far removed, but geographically in the same location experienced those towns and dealing with their status as quote unquote Americans at those different points. And it says this movie says, fuck that. Let's get into the pickle business. And I can't fucking understand why they would make that pivot. Because that is such a less interesting movie.
1: Yeah, like it's amazing how quickly they dropped the ball here. Where this went from uh, an incredibly unique idea that would have been fun to play with. Where they immediately touch on some really heavy handed topics. And over the course of like an hour and a half, it devolves into oh, these guys both have different beards. Okay. Yeah. No, they can't be the same person. And that's like the whole like climactic point of this film, like a, a boiling point almost. Like, what the fuck? Like, it was just so like i don't know the last time i watched a movie that the entirety of it the director like the direction of enjoyment i want to say just like was a perfectly arrow just straight down at like a 45 degree angle like the first five minutes of this film are so clearly the best five and it just gets worse every single minute you watch.
0: I can't, and, I couldn't believe how much worse it
1: kept getting. God, like, I just, it, like, if you stopped the movie when he gets, you know, 10 minutes out of like the new world and like ended it there, find some way to resolve some conflict there or set it up like open ended, cool. You just won an Oscar for best short film. And this is just like, a film that's going to be forgotten about by September.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think you're wrong for that. It's a shame, especially since it's being marketed so heavily. This isn't this. This is yeah. a fucking flop. Um, like Every
1: time you turn on HBO Max, it's the image right there. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Seth Rogen. You know. Oh I mean, yeah, same I'm huge a, fan. Wildly entertaining
0: actor. Uh, but boy, this is just not it. And it, it's funny looking at my notes because they get progressively more upset with this film. Like, I, it started off so positive. Like, un, one of the things I, I really loved about the beginning is, and I, is, is I'm looking at my notes, which is why I'm thinking of it, is how authentic they made it feel to a filmmaking style that was of that time. Like, the scene with the Cossacks feels straight out of a D.W. Griffith film. Like, the way they frame and and have the Cossacks raid the town straight up feels like a scene out of the out of birth of a nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, hundred oh, like percent. It, it's crazy how on the fucking nose it is, right? hmm Like straight up. And 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 so like you know, you're sitting there, so the beginning, it's funny, it's charming, the cinematography is really nice. There's all these great like like that. It seems like it's it's a it's a well-made film. The plots moving respectably the 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 scene where he where he gets pickled is whatever you move on from it. The scene where he explains how he got pickled, or the like the the scientist scene, is hilarious. It's Seth Rogen in like an accent, which I also want to give him credit for the accent. I think he actually did a pretty good job. Um, it didn't sound cheesy or, or overly comedic or anything. It sounded pretty. Um, I'm not going to say authentic because I, I don't know anyone per se with that accent, but it it sounded pretty like. Um, true to form for what he was trying to go for uh but like him, him in that accent trying to, to just being like the scientists explained what happened and it was good science everyone accepted that the science was good um mm-hmm. that like was the reporters
1: going like you expect us to believe like whatever it is you're going to tell us like are you you think we're fucking dumb and then they had that voiceover and it's just like oh yeah no that makes complete sense we fully accept it that was great yeah that was, was really oh. great
0: it was perfect because again like like with most time travel movies the less you explain the time travel the better off you are. Um so there because this is at its essence a time travel movie. Um but it just it just goes so off the rails like every time I thought no they couldn't possibly decide to go with that as the direction for this film. Like him making the pickles is is to me where it changed. Cuz even when he started making the pickles I was in. I was all for it. Um but but then it, it he he gets too successful and the grandson the great grandson version of Seth Rogan was got spiteful and reports him to the health department. How how has a major pickle company not picked him up and been like, hey, you're the guy who got pickled, you're selling pickles, let's have you sell pickles. Like the right. fact that he is the guy who got pickled almost never comes up again after the beginning of the movie.
1: It just goes back to that whole point of, like, there is... After they get away with, you know, that great way to explain the reasoning behind the whole situation, you know, the foundation of all this, they just are giving up on there being any logic whatsoever. Any logic. He's at a criminal trial, and the prosecutors are just, like let's drop the case or whatever like we like this, this let's throw this out just immediate um you know deportation just no defense whatsoever
0: i will the say i thought that was hilarious doesn't have a
1: beard the other guy does that's stupid all right boom immediate deportation it's like well wow, sure i could see that being the case in this america um in reality like the it just doesn't make like nothing makes sense in this movie. Nothing. Well, it, does.
0: It's it's like with oh my god. Um dude there's so much. The fact that like with the interns like he just hired what looked like I don't know 15 20 interns un, unpaid interns and now he has a company. That's not how that works. Like he's just going to get audited by the IRS. Interns would not do that. I understand it's Brooklyn. That's actually all the more reason interns wouldn't do that because, hey, it's fucking Brooklyn. It's yeah. really fucking expensive to live there now. Uh, in case anyone hasn't checked in the last hundred years, um, right. like that in of itself is bonkers. The fact that the fact that he he is using. He relied on rainwater when any homeless person in the world knows you can just go into like a McDonald's bathroom and get water. Not even saying like that. He should do that um, because he shouldn't be using rainwater either. It's illegal to collect rainwater um, because the water you drink has to go through a proper filtration system. Uh, Mm -hmm. But like, like there's so many weird things that happen in this movie where it's like you didn't need that. This whole movie could have been Seth Rogen, younger Seth Rogen, Navigating the corporate world with his app idea and his and his great grandfather, Seth Rogen, following him around through it and having deep, personal and meaningful conversations while walking around Brooklyn, seeing how it's changed, where they uncover and dissect their differences. And that's a much better like how great. let Let me describe to you this movie now. All right. Cut on Seth Rogen, um, young and old, both leaving the apartment building, walking down. Um, I don't know, pick a fucking street in Brooklyn. Doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't know if they ever named the street they lived on. Uh, with Seth Rogen, plural, uh, younger Seth Rogen, sorry, old older Seth Rogen, pointing at buildings, talking about what they what they were. Younger Seth Rogen talking about what they are now, what those differences are. Oh man, this used to be a factory. Yeah, there's not really much factory. Um, There's not much manufacturing in the United States anymore. Oh, what does everyone do for jobs now? Oh, well, a lot of people do what I do, and they and they work in technology and they make apps. Technology is a huge part of everyday life. And now, how do you stay in touch with your traditions with so much technology? You don't work with your hands, like like. You see what I'm saying? Like this is, they could have made this movie a really wacky before sunset, and instead decided to make it Pickles Inc. I I can't. But I I still can't believe this is the direction they chose to go with this.
1: And while I absolutely agree with you that, you know, that mentioning of like making this a before sunset type movie, that would have been phenomenal. And I would have loved that. They even could have done it this way. Like you can have him hire 20 interns in the middle of New York City to make pickles out of fucking rainwater. You can do that and play it off as a joke like, ha 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 interns that's so funny like we all experience this like oh that's great or whatever you know other random shit you mentioned because there is so many like you can play them off well nothing was though nothing was good point. executed
0: well here very very good point the fucking debate scene that he had with that other random person which like one how did he get invited to do this and two that's not how discourse works in the university settings like that was so weird it ha- it didn't it didn't lead anywhere it didn't make any sense there was no lead into it that really again made any sense like you could have played it off as being some weird funny comedic moment and i get it was mostly there to rip on trump um which it's like on the one hand i get but like on the other hand it was so shoehorned in. it wasn't even gratifying um you're right like everything that they did maybe by itself or maybe even in concert with the other things could have been done. And they just dropped the ball on all of it. They cleaned up that, that cemetery in like the first third of the movie. Like, like you're telling me that this guy made $200,000 in what seems like, I don't know, two weeks at absolute most to tear down that billboard, had his unpaid interns clean up a fucking cemetery by the highway um, and then move on to other ventures within the first half of the movie and I'm supposed to act like that wasn't seemingly the symbolic conclusion that this movie was building towards
1: uh, I, Honestly, I'm just so sick of talking about this movie I just hate how disappointing it was It's it's,
0: it's pathetic it Like left the,
1: so it, much out there
0: the fact that Seth Rogan discovers the meaning of uh, Jewish heritage by being temporarily displaced in Shlupsk and going and sleeping for one night in a temple, that's mm-hmm. how he's going to find his 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 sense of tradition because as I've said multiple times on the podcast, Judaism is not so much about the religious part of the religion, it's mostly about tradition and and sense of community. that's how you're gonna one one night of being displaced sleeping in a temple what if you walked into the one fucking church they had in schlupsk like my point is that it had nothing to do with the faith like it's fucking it's just stupid it's disrespectful honestly like there's so much that they could have tapped into about the proud history of jews especially coming from eastern europe into uh new york which is like a main line of transit from like the early 1900s to the 1940s and they were just like, "No, nah, he's gonna like be really tired and sleep in a temple one day." Like this movie had potential out the ass, and at every opportunity to go in the correct direction, they were like, "Ah, how about more pickles, though?" I, I like.
1: I feel like the first fifteen minutes of this film was produced as a pitch. Like they made the first fifteen minutes, you know, self-funded, whatever put a ton of effort and time and love into making it beautiful and impactful and everything and funny. There were some really funny parts in that. And I really appreciated every aspect of that first 15 minutes. And that's how they pitched it to studios and HBO took it. And then Seth Rogen got really high and forgot to make this movie. And then, Basically filmed this in order on the fly by the seat of his pants or by the, I honestly don't remember how that idiom goes anymore, but regardless, it just felt like a a rushed film product that happened to be shot with Seth Rogen and really good cameras and had HBO behind it. Like it just felt empty as all hell.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it felt like they had a all the but it felt like they had such a comical ratio of budget to script, um, especially mm-hmm. considering the fact that this was a short story. Um, <laughs> it shows because maybe all of these things would make more sense in a vastly reduced medium uh, in terms of of length where you don't have to flush out so many of the concepts. But like this movie didn't even hit an hour and a half. It's an hour and 28 minutes like and um, it felt long, and that's not good. Mm-mm. Uh, all right, Oof. yeah. Give me a give me a rating and review, and we'll uh, we'll wrap up with uh, next Tuesday's choices.
1: Uh, I don't even really want to review this. Like the first fifteen minutes, basically until they walk out of that laboratory after the press conference is you know, a four and a half out of five, like it, it really was spectacular. And everything else after that was like a one, maybe, um, on potential alone. And that first 15 minutes, I'm going to give this a two, um, which feels high, but I don't want to detract from that first chunk. There were some funny moments here and there. Yeah. It had some nice messaging here and there. In all, it was just so fucking ugh um, that two is a very, very liberal score for it. But whatever, yeah. I'm I'm sticking with a two.
0: Yeah, two is more generous than I'm going to be. I'm going to give this a one. Um, and it sucks because it's a movie about not just Judaism, but like my specific brand of Judaism. And it hurts to give it such a low score, but at the same time, they fucked... This up, so I'm gonna just say it again. they don't bring up the fact that Seth older Seth Rogan was the pickle guy for the, yeah, like they mention it in pa- they mentioned it in passing, I think, like once or twice, but like it doesn't get brought up as a plot point at all for the rest of the movie. It's seemingly the main part of the movie, and they don't bring it up at all in a significant way after he leaves the fucking lab it's ridiculous
1: it's infuriating because it like
0: it makes it because it it should have been brought up this is like the whole thing i know like there were so many instances where the wacky crazy shit that was happening literally on the news like with reporters would have made more sense if the reporters also said yeah uh This guy was the pickle guy, the guy who lived 100 years in pickle juice. And here he is saying wacky things that weren't so wacky 100 years ago. Oh, so Now, I I will caveat it by saying, look, if you have HBO Max, yeah, go ahead and watch it. It's like an hour and 28 minutes. If you like Seth Rogen, if you're even remotely Jewish, give it a watch. It still has that that kind of Hamish Jewish thing going on there. Uh, If you don't know Yiddish, you ain't going to get that one. Um, but so so there, there's some value in it if you already have the service but like I, I wouldn't go out of your way to get HBO Max for this I wouldn't go out of your way to illegally download this because um, it's not it's just not worth the literal actual bandwidth watch um, the first
1: 15 minutes stop when they leave that and just assume that the rest of the movie is a, a great story about these two bonding and learning to adjust to society and religion and just accept, uh, accept I, I, that reality.
0: I want Richard Linklater to remake this movie. Um, mm, yes. Seriously. Uh, so yeah, this this is just, it's just a one. Uh, it had all the potential, like Corwin said, but the fact that it crushed that potential into the fucking dirt as brutally as it did makes it just that much more painful to watch. Um, so this is a one, not sorry. Although, Seth Rogen, I still do like you, and I hope you and your writing partner do better. Um, I, <laughs> that being I'll said... Pick a movie. All right, so we're looking again. Again, I'm going to say it now, and I'll probably say it a third time as we wrap up. This is not... Uh, the, these next picks we're going to make will not be on next Thursday's podcast. They will be airing Tuesday, next Tuesday, under the show titled Juicing the Big Screen. Uh, That being said, I am going to again go with another movie that is currently on HBO Max, um, as I have the service, Um, and am still trying to find relatively more modern films that I have not seen. So in that vein, I'm going to go with 2018's The Tale, a Mm. drama thriller starring Laura Dern, uh, that's The Tale on HBO Max. I uh,
1: have not seen that movie. I haven't heard of that movie off the top of my head that I can remember. So I'm excited. Um, I am really in the mood to stick with some Dustin Hoffman. I want to jerk him off some more next week. So I'm going to go with All the President's Men.
0: You know, it's so funny. I was just looking at that movie because it is also on HBO Max.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Oh, yeah, I, yeah. And uh, I was considering picking it because, um, for one, it's a politics movie, and I'm very much so in that 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 mental state right now. Um, and uh, it's also a great fucking movie. I just haven't seen it in a long fucking time. So yeah, I've never seen it. So oh, I think you're gonna like it. Uh, I mean,
1: you know, we watched Frost Nixon last week. We watched a Dustin Hoffman movie this week. So might as well merge the two. You got a little bit of both.
0: One plus one is two. All right. Perfect. All right. All right. uh, So the picks are uh, 2018's The Tale and 1976's All the President's Men. Make sure you watch those movies before Tuesday or don't uh, make sure you go search down and subscribe to um, Juicing the Big Screen, where Core and I will be issuing you some much-needed movie talk uh, every Tuesday on, uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, all right, if you want to hit us up via Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. Pod. you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And as far as Juicing the Numbers goes, until Monday... Y'all have a good one. Bye.